We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie. I'm Sarah. And today we have a really exciting author with us. We've got Robert Crace. Hi Robert. Hi Frankie, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. It's early for me, so I've got a lot of energy. Oh wow, what's that like <laughs> coming into us live from LA of all places? Is it as beautiful and sunny as we're led to believe? Yes, ma'am. It's gorgeous. <laughs> oh. it's fabulous. I hate to rub it in, but this is paradise. Oh, yeah. all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's I spent here. the week in the London office. It's been rainy. Yeah, it's pitch black at 5.30. Yeah, we're, we're very basically ready for bed already. So <laughs> eternally ready for bed. Um, yeah. So, Robert, we have a little tradition when we have authors on our podcast that we, we've written a little bio, largely based on things I found out about you online. So hopefully it's all factually correct, but you can uh, tell us if we've got anything horribly wrong. All lies, all of it, lies, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, let's see, be. Sarah, I'll hand over to you. <laughs> okay. Robert Crace is the award-winning author of the best-selling Cole and Pike novels and several other standalone thrillers. A native of Louisiana, Crace moved to Hollywood in the late 70s where he began a successful career in television, writing scripts for such major series as Cagney and Lacey, Miami Vice and Hill Street Blues. In the mid-80s, Crace created a series of crime novels based around the characters Cole and Pike. His latest in the series, Racing the Light, is described as Elvis Cole's most dangerous case yet and will be released into the UK on the 10th of November. Outside of writing, Robert lives in LA with his wife and family. Although he is a self-described grumpy optimist and resentful vegan, he is also generous and kind enough to slum it with the likes of us. <laughs> How is that? <laughs> I think it's fabulous. <laughs> especially the part about slumming right? well that's it we're, we're not worthy of um, such a such an incredible back catalogue and such an incredible career so we're so grateful for your time today thank you this is going to be fun i'm looking forward to it <laughs> i promise we're very nice <laughs> i've heard rumors oh no <laughs> those are all true yeah <laughs> and you still came on wow yeah. thank you <laughs> So I guess we can kick it off. So let's talk about the new book, which I've been reading and I'm absolutely storming through it. I, I'm loving it. I can barely put it down because it's just such an enjoyable romp already, like just powering through. Obviously, you've written so many books now about Elvis Cole and, and Joe Pike. Where did the inspiration for this particular one come from? Oh, uh, the craziness we've all been living through this past three years. Uh, I actually, you know, the... It's been insane, right? It's like we mm. woke up in some dystopian science fiction novel and the world is upside down. Here in the States, I published my last book before this about three years ago, just before the pandemic started. And I was working away on a, on a different novel uh, that would have been this Elvis Cole book. And then the, the pandemic started. And I have friends of mine, writer friends of mine, who once the lockdowns began here, were saying that, oh my God, they had so much free time now because no one could do anything, that they were going to write two books, three books a year. It was just the opposite for me. When the craziness started, I was just slammed, floored. All I could do was watch the news all day mm -hmm. long. And yeah. the news was no solace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Here, the coverage was constantly daily 
conflicted. You know, this scientist saying one thing, this scientist saying another thing, all these arguments and debate about where did it begin? You know, labs in Wuhan or not labs in Wuhan? Mm -hmm. Uh, Would we live? Would we die? Could we control it? What's the best course of action? And at first I was just confused like everyone else by watching this nonsense. But then I, I began to get more and more angry because I I knew people were lying. I wasn't sure who was lying. I wasn't sure who to trust. Uh, But I began to obsess about that notion that we were being lied to and the life and death death importance it would be to discover the truth. What was the truth? And on top of that, so months are rolling on, right? I mean, this just, Hmm. it was, it felt unending. And then out of the blue, the United States Navy, of all entities, the United States Navy releases these official videos of fighter jets taking pictures of UFOs. And the Navy yeah. saying, we don't know what these things are. And, and, and I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I don't need this too? Uh, <laughs> one thing at a time. Please. One thing at a time, please. One yeah. emergency at a time. <laughs> and then here in Los Angeles, where the city itself uh, has a, a history, a well-documented history of, uh, of governmental corruption. Mm-hmm. Going back, you, you might recall like the fabulous film Chinatown, which is yes. based on that. And, and, and so much noir fiction that was written in the 30s and 40s and 50s, all about the thing. Well, here in modern day Los Angeles, in the past two years, we've had three city councilmen indicted on corruption charges. So all of this is in the news. And I literally could not get back to writing the book that I had started prior to this beginning. Out of this chaos, uh, it began really important to me to write about, you know, in my head, a a hero who would seek the truth. And so it codified into into this character in the book, uh, Josh Schumacher, who's a young podcaster, who's so easily dismissed because his podcast is about fringe type things. You know, Josh has a penchant for government conspiracies and uh, secrets, you know, Area 51 and all this woo-woo stuff. But in the book, Josh finds something that's very true and very real and very newsworthy. And he becomes committed to uncovering what that truth is and exposing the perpetrators. And and he became my personal hero. I, I guess maybe a manifestation of me, like, I wish I could go out and grab these people and shake them and say, tell us the truth. And and that's Josh for me. So that's that's where Erasing the Light comes from. That's a really, really interesting and good answer to that question, because you're right. You're right. It's been such a, a strange few years of mistruth and fake news and everything like that. And it has just been incredibly endlessly draining. Obviously, the US, you have had, you've been through a tough time. I don't know if you keep up with UK politics. We too have had an interesting I, I do. few years. Yes, I, I do. Yeah. Keep up about politics. Yes. Yeah. So we've both been on our, on our various roller coasters. Very much so. Yeah. Not the, not the fun kind, more the, is this safe? Oh dear God, I don't think I'm clipped in properly and I'm going to fall out of the sky kind of roller coasters um, yeah. that we don't enjoy. It's really interesting, I think, that you um, you explore kind of the fringe kind of topics within that, because obviously we, we know with with crime and crime fiction, often a lot it's very much straight focus on things like you know murder and those kinds of crimes. It's you know black and white missing people. Blah, blah. So it's really interesting that you, you worked in like the the conspiracy angles and things, which is you know in, also incredibly prevalent in society. It feels like conspiracy theories become mainstream in a lot of ways. Um, how did you approach the research around conspiracy theory and, and the different areas that you cover in the book? I wanted Josh to be someone that mainstream people would dismiss. Mm. And he is dismissed. 
you know, he does this fringe podcast. No one takes him seriously. He has a fractured family. You know, his, his father thinks he's thrown his life away. Uh, his mother, uh, who, who loves him dearly, she herself has a penchant for conspiracy theories and, and bizarre thinking. And, and in fact, when, when his mother comes to Elvis Cole, because Josh is missing and, and she hires Elvis, she firmly believes that Josh has been kidnapped, probably kidnapped by, you know, top secret government agents because, because of, she shares these, these bizarre uh, ideations. Josh, in fact, comes from a background where everyone lies. You know, his, his parents, who are br- were brilliant scientists, worked for, on top secret projects. Not to say they're the same projects that, that fringe lunatics believe in, but <laughs> they, they worked for top secret projects and therefore they had to lie to everyone, including Josh, about what they did. They, you know, they couldn't go home and speak the mm-hmm. truth about it. So he, he comes from that background. And in researching it, I just dove in into the internet and, mm-hmm. and followed um, all the conspiracy theory websites and message boards and did a lot of research into what all the popular things were, which was so easy to do mm-hmm. during, during the beginning months of, of, of COVID, because there were all manner of conspiracy theories about that. You know, was this cooked up as a weapon? Was it actually consciously released as a weapon, et cetera? So mm-hmm. part of that was fun to do. Part of it was frightening to do. But what I, what I really wanted was to, to be able to present that world, according to Josh, as grounded in a type of reality. And I, hopefully I, I, I did that. Yeah, definitely. I have to ask, not book related, but were there any, during your research, were there any conspiracy theories that you kind of started digging into and you were almost sold on the idea that maybe it, they are conspiracy theories? I think it'd be quite easy to do. Mm, definitely. You know what? It is, it is quite believable to do because uh, in, in certain circles, People who are promoting certain conspiracies or certain theories about about what we might call unknown Mm. realities are very persuasive. You know, they've thought it all out. They probably spend Mm. their lives, you know, thinking it out and and researching. And so there's a lot of many layers of rationale that Mm. that one has to sort through. And it can be quite persuasive. You know, I'm I actually enjoy some of it. Because you know, when I was when I was researching the elements of, of these, these Navy videos and Navy films, and there's by the way, there's an enormous subculture on Twitter dedicated to you know UFO Twitter, and yeah. and they have endless debates about these things. What well, whatever you think, one way or the other, the fact of the matter is, so far the Navy or the United States government hasn't explained what those pilots were seeing. You know, I, I, and that tickles me. I mean, I want them to. I'd love to know. I have my own. Yeah. Theory. But uh, I, I'm waiting for the official explanation. You're putting them out on your Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever they tell us, they'll be lying. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have the mental fortitude to start diving into all of that because I suspect I'm one of these people who'd come out the other end and be like, oh, yeah, moon landing, fake. <laughs> you know. Well, what was, what, was, what was great for me and what I wanted to bring to Josh is that now in the book, of course, the reason he's on the run and the reason he is in a lot of jeopardy is because he's uncovered a crime that is, in fact, very real. Mm-hmm. But because of who he is and because of his history of promoting all these things that most people don't believe in, no one will believe him. So, mm-hmm. And he knows that. So he's working desperately to get actual evidence and proof 
for the accusations that he's about to make. And he's so adamant about that, that he's willing to risk his life to do so. I have to say, um, hearing about a podcaster who's not taken seriously feels painfully relatable to Sarah and I, I would say, in our day-to-day lives. So thank you for representing our people. Just remember, (laughs) the government is watching you. Oh, I know. It's fine. Luckily, I'm very boring to watch, so I don't think they'll stick around for long or listen to our episodes. Regarding podcasts, are you a big podcast person? Do you listen to a lot of podcasts? Not so much. I listen to them occasionally. Mm Mm-hmm. If if I happen upon a podcast that that's very point specific about something that I'm interested in, I I listen to it. Mostly, I'm a reader. Yeah. You know, I I my free time is spent reading. I like to read books Ma- and magazines. You know, ma- nonfiction. I read a lot of nonfiction. Yeah. See, Frankie, um, it's a bone of contention that I don't listen to any of Frankie's podcasts or any others, <laughs> including the one that she's on and co-hosts with. Me. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> but in a large in a large part, it's because I do listen to things quite a lot, but I listen to audiobooks. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm consuming most of the time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, Frankie. No, it's fine. Whatever. It's a, we'll keep having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of books, seeing as you are a big reader, uh, mm-hmm. what was the last book that you read and loved? Oh, uh, well, I'm constantly reading. I, a, a book that jumps to mind. Uh, do you know of a writer named Steve Cavanaugh? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I read a book of his not too long ago called The Accomplice. And it, it, mm. he writes about a character, uh, an attorney named Eddie Flynn. Yeah. And right. I, 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 I adore those books. I, I think mm. Steve's a terrific writer. So The Accomplice is, is, uh, is a book I recently read. Oh, great recommendation. It's a great series, that one. I've read a few. It of really them. is. It yeah. really is. And Steve's a great guy. So, you know, I, I can be happier for his success. I love a good series. So actually, mm. I'm quite excited to have a new one to dip into now with um, Cole and Pike. And I have to admit, I saw that you had a recommendation from, oh, on the spot now, who wrote the amazing series of Jack Reacher novels. Lee Child. Lee Child. Yes, Lee Child. I saw that he'd recommended your books as well and thought, well, if Lee Child is giving a recommendation, then come on. <laughs> right. That's I didn't know. That that's terrific. That's fabulous. Yes, yeah. It popped up online when I was Googling earlier. Creepily Googling you. <laughs> you don't have to say were, were it's you, creepy. Were you stalking me, Sarah? It's creepy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. A creepy podcaster. <laughs> oh God, it's a wonder you're still on this call with us, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Just disappear, never to be seen from again. Yeah. This show has now become official research for me. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> We look forward to being in book 20. (laughs) Or at least police evidence at the rate we're going. Um, Speaking of your your career and your, obviously you've used to write for television. You've written for huge shows, like massive ones that have, you know, their legacy continues to live on, like Agni Lacey, Miami Vice. How is the approach writing crime for TV different to writing for your books? Or is there a difference? Well, the, the mediums are certainly radically different, right? I mean, mm. one, one, one is uh, collaborative filmmaking, screenwriting, and, and the prose novel re- requires an entirely different technique and sensibility. Mm-hmm. But drama's drama is uh, drama. When, when I, I began my career as a, as a super baby writer, an infant writer writing short <laughs> stories, and when a few of the short stories, which is prose, and when a few of the short stories began to sell, I thought maybe I had enough talent to actually make my living writing. So I moved to Hollywood uh, and got involved in TV and film. So I was still a baby writer. I was very young. Honestly, I didn't know anything. But I began and was very fortunate to work for some terrific series here. And the writers and writer producers that I worked with 
and the actors I, I worked with were I think of as my writing school. I mean, you know, that's really where I learned to write because as I said, drama is drama and it doesn't matter what form it is, whether you're on stage, whether you're on film, TV, books, the, the elements of drama and conflict are the same. You know, working on shows, the shows you mentioned, like like uh, mm. Hill Street Blues, where we had just such a fantastic cast. And then again, I, I'm this young kid there and I'm working for Stephen Bochco, Michael Kozel, uh, Anthony Yurkovich. I mean, these people are brilliant writers. The amount I learned in the way of structuring a scene, in, in, in the way of writing dialogue, of, of editing my scenes, of, of, of structuring plots so that, so that everything moves forward uh, while illuminating character. Working on Cagney and Lacey with, with, uh, with Tyne Daly and Sharon Gless. You know, I, I, I do that show for a year and every, every day I'm not only writing scripts, rewriting scripts, working with the other writers in the writer's room, but then we're doing table reads, you know, with Tyne and Sharon. Working with those two women was, was just an amazing experience because they're so talented, so gifted at that. So all of these things, uh, when, I, when I finally decided to transition, start, begin writing books, of course, you know, that's how I knew how to write. And I, I think bringing those, those elements to my books, beginning with the first book, I, obviously, I think it, it, all of that had a hand in, in leading to eventually the, the success that developed with, with the novels. You, you can't separate them. You can't say one is different than the other. Now, when I stopped writing TV and started writing books, I had to teach myself how to write a book because mm-hmm. it, it was so different. And in fact, I, I wrote two, two manuscripts that did not sell. They were actually flat out awful. Uh, before, <laughs> before I wrote The Monkey's Raincoat, which finally did sell and launched the Elvis Cole series. When you wrote that first book, which obviously was incredibly successful, you won awards for your first book, which is incredible. Did you have the idea that you wanted it to be a series in mind? Or was it just, oh, this is doing really well. I want to see where this goes after the fact. Honestly, when I wrote that, that first book, The Monkey's Raincoat, after two failures, my, old, my only goal was to write a story I believed in that didn't embarrass me. <laughs> you know, I, I hoped it would sell. I knew it had the potential to be a series, but I really wasn't thinking that far ahead. And, right. and even when it finally sold, and it was rejected several times by publishers, I, I wasn't thinking that there would ever be you know, 19 Elvis Cole novels or that the books would become successful that way. I was, um, I was just trying to sell one, one book. And, um, and, and then when it sold and it became slowly more and more popular, I, I was as surprised as anyone else. <laughs> I'm not sure you'll want to answer this, so feel free to say, oh, shut up. <laughs> Which do you prefer, writing for TV or writing novels? Oh, writing for writing novels. Writing okay, novels. good. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, um, Listen, this is my dream come true. You know, I, the, the way I liken it is that I'm my own movie studio, right? I mean, yeah. I, it, the books are mine. I don't have to pitch the idea to anybody. I don't I have to get in a room with, with a lot of executives who will give me notes or, you know, a writer's room where there's a lot of voices and then actors and, direct, and all that stuff. The books are all mine. So mm-hmm. in a way, they're my Disneyland and I'm Walt Disney. Yeah. You know? So it's nothing's better than this for me. I mean, I I just it's like heaven on earth. (laughs) (laughs) The right move to make. (laughs) Yes, it was the very, very much. It was the right move to make. 
We've had a few other writers who have also had experience at writing for film and TV. And they always say the best part about writing for books is that there's no budget for what their ideas within it. They can go big and have all the special effects because it's all contained in their book. It's freedom. You know, anything yeah. you want to do, you're, 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 you're free to do. There's no one to tell you no. I mean, I do have an editor and I have a publisher and, 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 and they have a voice, but I, I'm free to write. You're right. With, without constraints, as opposed yeah. to I'm, I'm writing an, an hour episode of a TV show. Well, you know, it's you can't have the battleship Potemkin, you know, come around <laughs> the corner. It's there, there are things to do. And there's just like endless layers of interference. Mm-hmm. You know, you get I, that used to drive me crazy. All the notes you would get, you get studio executive notes, you get networking executive notes. There's always notes. They always have to be dealt with. And you know, I don't want to listen. When I first got into TV, it was very exciting. Uh, it, it, it was. I mean, I, I I didn't know anything, but it was just exciting. I mean, you know, one one day I'm in Louisiana swatting mosquitoes. The next day I'm on a soundstage with Jack Klugman. It, it was really uh, fun for a long time. And and certainly some of my best friends to this day were other writers who I worked with in those days. And we've stayed close ever since because, you know, you, you, a bunch of writers in a writer's room, especially if you're in production and, and, and the cameras are rolling and they, they constantly eat scripts. Uh, it's your own private war zone, right? I mean, there's a lot of heavy bonding that, that goes on and that's wonderful. But after a while, it began to wear me out. Mm-hmm. I, I really... I had an individual vision that I wanted to express. And, you know, that's, that's really what pushed me out of TV in a way. And, and because I just embraced books, suddenly I was free to do whatever I wanted. And, you know, freedom is a dangerous thing. I, <laughs> I enjoyed it way too much. <laughs> well, I mean, it all went well, though. We always ask authors when they come on the podcast, what their favorite and also least favorite thing is about the writing process what would you say yours are other than the freedom yeah (laughs) Yeah. my favorite thing about the writing process is um nothing is better than when i'm when i'm writing a scene and i'm all the way into it Mm -hmm. when when in here i am the characters in the scene and i'm feeling what they're feeling and i'm in total touch with my emotions and their emotions that were all melded to one and the scene is alive that's like the greatest thing ever you know if i'm writing a a, a sad scene and a, an emotional scene and they're crying that i'm crying you know tears are coming mm-hmm. down if i'm writing something funny and i know it's funny and i'm laughing you know it's it's great it's like real and alive so that's the best part for me the worst part, man, you spend enough years sitting in a chair staring at the screen, you get a bad back. I get back <laughs> all the time. I don't like it. And there's only one solution, gin. Ah. <laughs> oh, full support of that. Excellent <laughs> way to deal with it. <laughs> I'm telling you, Sarah, Friday night, long day at the office. Oh, soon. Believe me, soon. That's really interesting, actually, because one of the things that really jumped out at me when I was reading um, Racing the Light was there were quite a lot of laugh out loud Mm. moments. And I really Really enjoyed that because, yeah, quite often, obviously, we read a lot of crime fiction for the podcast and because we enjoy it. And they can be quite heavy going without any moments of light relief. So I loved that. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad. I do, too. You know, before before I'm a writer, I'm a reader. And, mm-hmm. and when I first began and all the way through for all the books and now and forever forward, I've always told myself, write the book you want to read. 
And I, I tell that to, to, you know, aspiring writers or whoever. I, I'm a big believer in that. Mm. So that's what I enjoy in a, in a book. I don't, I find myself not really responding to one note books, mm. uh, yeah. meaning, meaning one emotional Same. level all the way through. So what yeah. I try to do in my books is, is have a mix. I enjoy laughing when I read. Yeah. So I use that humor to counterpoint the heavier, really more dramatic moments. And I think, in fact, if you can use humor properly, then those heavier, uh, more dramatic, high risk moments are even better. Yeah. Right? You, you, you can, you can, you can heighten the sense even, even more. So it's, it's, um, it's the book I want to read. I'm, I'm glad you responded to it. Oh, definitely. It definitely makes the characters more real as well, because in life, nobody is just one note, like you say. Nobody's, well, for the most part, people aren't all serious. Often people do find humour in really harrowing, dark situations, or it's a defence mechanism that people use. So I think it has made the characters, you know, all the more real and likeable and engaging as a result. I find the kind of the shortness of Joe Pike to be really funny. (laughs) And in contrast to Elvis, who is, you know, a lot more, open and kind of warm and you know it's even those little stark contrasts between them that make the characters so well-rounded and you just want to keep reading them so definitely yeah i i I agree that's why it's like that i mean i listen imagine you're you're around someone and all they are is mopey and every time yeah tell me about it sarah they just mope and they're (laughs) depressive sir i don't know you i'm not commenting on you But I mean, you just want to be around that person, right? Mm. I mean, you know, yeah. your friends, are, they're everywhere. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, you, you laugh with them, you cry with them. When they're depressed, you, 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 you comfort them. And that's how people are. And so when I'm writing these things, that's the mix I want to try to, uh, try to achieve. Well, mission accomplished, I would say. <laughs> and speaking of your characters, and this is, I'm really interested to hear your answer to this one. If you had to be one of the characters from from the book, who would you be and why? If I had to be one of my characters, who yeah. would I be? Involved? Oh, yes. Well, everybody thinks I'm Joe Pike, so. <laughs> I, I He's guess... who I would pick, so I agree yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I think that's a compliment. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I, if I had to be one of them, you know, if, as long as we're talking pure fantasy, I, I guess... I want to say Joe Pike, but no, I'd probably be Elvis. Still a pretty good also pick. Also a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, Joe, I love Joe. And Joe mm-hmm. has a huge fan following. And I know why. You know, he's hot. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, I also think that Joe, on a day-to-day level, I think Joe Pike wants to be Elvis Cole. Mm. Because of what you were saying, just, just Elvis is, I think, more in touch with his true self and more connected to the outside world. Yeah. And I think Joe admires that. I think Joe would if he could, but he can't. Yeah. Because of his history, because of his childhood background, Joe's a very internalized person. He's in a way as cool as he is, he's kind of withdrawn from the world and cut off the world. And I believe he, um, on some level, he realizes that that's not, that's not the ideal way to live. Uh, it's certainly, it's, it, it, it works for him. It allows him to survive. But I think, and in fact, I've had scenes, a couple of scenes over the course of some of the books where Joe internally admires Elvis and maybe sort of philosophically discusses their differences uh, in an admiring way. It's almost as like he's studying Elvis Cole because like, how can I be more like that? 
So I guess I'd be Elvis, yeah. even though Joe's cool. I think you're pretty Elvis cool. Elvis is cool too. Elvis yeah. is cool. And you. <laughs> I think take elements of both perhaps, and then you've got the most well-rounded, perfect, cool person. True, between the two. true. Actually, what I'd, if I had to pick one, I think I'd be Elvis Cole's cat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel Love like that. him a lot of the time. I feel like Elvis Cole's cat. Even oh, <laughs> oh. there are people in the house. Do like, you have sharp claws? <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Try to file them into points. She does. so obviously you're a big reader do you tend to mainly stick with crime when you read or do you go a bit broader oh no i'm very eclectic i read all manner of things i read a lot of nonfiction. i read all genres and and categories of course i read a lot of crime fiction because i love it but i i I read everything i also read uh you know science fiction fantasy and again a lot of uh literary fiction and and a lot of nonfiction. you know what i find this has been many years now but what I found is that when I'm when I'm in the, the real hot and heavy throes of, of writing a book, the deeper and deeper I get into the writing of my own book, the less and less fiction I will read during that period and the more and more nonfiction I will read. And I think it has to do with the ability. Nonfiction allows me to divorce myself from the creative side of my, my head and relax more. When I'm reading fiction, even fiction I'm really digging and enjoying, I think part of my head is always analyzing what the author is doing. You know, if if like something's really bad, if, if there's a section that's really bad in the book, then I'm trying to figure out why is it bad? You know, what, what, what are they doing wrong? But on the other hand, if something's like really cool or if there's like a really great scene or lines of dialogue, then I'm admiring it. I'm thinking, man, that's really good. How did he or she do that? So in a way, it's like always kind of work, you know? So yeah. if I do not fiction, I don't care, right? It's just information <laughs> that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the style is cool and it's very smooth read and all that, but it's just information and I can just let myself go and relax. I have to ask as well, because I love a nonfiction book, mm. especially sort of sciencey ones. Have you got a great nonfiction recommendation for us too? Yeah, I just read... Hitting you on the spot. No, no, no. no. I just got to remember the title. The science fiction writer Kim Stanley Robinson last year published... God, what's the title of it? High Sierra or My Life in the Sierras. I'm blanking on the title, but it's... it's. We'll look it up. Yeah. yeah. It is It is a nonfiction book about the environment, actually. Mm. And it's... I, I found it immensely interesting and riveting. I think, I think even when it was, you know, Barack Obama, our, our former president, every couple, a couple times a year, he releases, a you know, his reading list. These are the books I've read this summer or mm. something like that. And uh, Mr. Robinson's book was on that, on that list. And, and it's just received rave, rave response from it. Brilliant. That's a Thank good endorsement. You. Now I feel like a moron because I can't remember the title, but I really enjoyed it. That, yeah, that just means that you read too many books, though. That's a, a good thing. I read a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. I, it is a good thing. Books are my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's good, although the the occupational hazard that comes with it of you you needing to detach from fiction for a bit. I find that really interesting, that idea of nonfiction and there's escapism for you to a degree, when usually it's the, the other, other way around, around for people. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, funny writer's head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, and all the gin doesn't help, I'm sure. No judgment. <laughs> Now you know my secret. (laughs) (laughs) We know our own, Robert. Uh, So with obviously you read a lot of crime. 
this is the question we always ask, and I'm always really fascinated by people's approach to this because it could be potentially quite contentious. Which typical crime genre trope are you sick of? Yeah, well, you know, there's there are many. Mm. Probably the one I'm the depressed, alcoholic, drug addicted cop slash detective. Mm-hmm. There have been some fabulous books written with characters like that, but I just have this personal feeling that I've seen that so often now yeah. that I'm over it. Yeah. Yeah. That's just not what I want when I'm when I'm looking for you know a novel to enjoy. That's funny. I'm pretty sure we had another author say that as well, actually. Correct me if I'm wrong, Frank. I think it was Adam Simcox that, that said that as well. Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm. And yeah, get it because it became, well, it's such a thing, isn't it? It's a cliche um, now. Yeah. And what you were saying before about trying to bring the, the lightness as well to your characters, you don't get that a lot of the time with these very stereotypical life is awful, <laughs> dark detectives. Right. right. Every, everything's rotten. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It'd be different if they, if they enjoyed their alcoholism, maybe, and <laughs> cheered up a bit. But Yeah, that might be fun to read. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so just a really, a, a drunk detective having a really good time. <laughs> You don't hear about that much, do you? I totally read that. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> May not keep his badge for long, but it would be a fun story, potentially. <laughs> Hilarious read, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, speaking of... Sarah, can I do my usual thing? This is my favourite part. Frankie asked this question to every author and it's always a bit weird. So oh, I'm oh, it's going to get like a weird question for last. <laughs> yeah, we yep. try. I try to lull you into a full sense of security before going full weird. <laughs> so right. here we go. Okay, Robert, I'm unfortunately, I have some terrible news to deliver to you now. I'm really sorry to tell you this, but you've committed a horrendous crime. And unfortunately, as a result of that crime, you're being sent to death row. So sorry about that. What do you what do you think you did that warranted you being sent to death row? What crime did you commit? What crime did I commit uh, being mm-hmm. sent to death death row? Without a doubt, mass murder. <laughs> <laughs> Went straight there. Went straight really there. No hesitation. I knew the answer Love before it. you finished asking. <laughs> the Sounds like you're planning something, Robert. It's a bit concerning. <laughs> Keep an eye on that. We've had some really interesting answers to that question. People normally go, you know, like, oh, bad parking or, oh, you know, <laughs> things like that. But you go straight to mass murder. Mass I murder. admire that commitment. <laughs> yeah. High achiever. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Not just one murder. Mass. I, I am Joe Pike's father. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Brilliant. Well, I mean, if you've committed mass murder, then it's kind of warranted, I suppose, that you've been arrested. Um, death row <laughs> aside. I didn't try to wiggle out, did I? I mean, if, if no. I'm convicted, I'm going to death row, I'm there. Wow. Guilty plea, bang the gavel, I'm, off you go. Okay. <laughs> I respect that very much. But the good news is, even though you've murdered loads of people, <laughs> we're going to... Co- we're going to cook you your dream meal, your death row meal. We're going to have whoever you want make it and it can be whatever you want. So what 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 will it be? What's on the menu? My death row meal, my last meal on earth? Yes. Yeah. So this is the last thing I'm going to consume. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Still laughing at mass murder, sorry. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> oh, it's funny. A juicy, buttery, sweet, cinnamony apple pie. Ooh. Nice. Still nice. warm from the oven. Nice. With cream, ice cream? Ice cream. Ice cream. Ice cream. A la mode. Yeah. And I'm a purist, so vanilla. 
a nice rich vanilla ice cream melting and oozing all solid choice you skipped like a main course and gone straight to dessert yeah just a whole pie just, Love the it. ultimate it's my last meal the ultimate indulgence you know why waste it on salad or meat or i'm just going give me the apple pie wow i can't wait to watch the netflix series about you as a mass murderer (laughs) and your final meal (laughs) final scene just eating a whole apple pie pie. ice cream around his mouth just huge (laughs) like a costco apple pie costco apple pie you could swim laps in this thing Wow, that would be a good way to go, to be fair. (laughs) Burn to death in molten hot apple pie (laughs) swimming. Wow, that that was, I think that might be my favourite answer yet that we've had (laughs) to that question. To both questions. Yes. So you have had your apple pie, you've been put to death, very sad. Sorry Sorry about that. But (laughs) you are allowed to be buried with one book of your choice. What book would you be buried with? The Old Man in the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. That's a good oh, good one. choice. Yeah. Is that an enduring favorite of yours then? Yes. I first read it when I was in high school and I've probably read it a dozen or more times since. Hemingway was a big influence on me early in my development as a, as a writer. I still love his shorter work and, uh, and that's a favorite. That's a favorite of mine, The Old Man in the Sea. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that book yeah. and me and the apple pie in the grave forever. Yep. Love it. <laughs> digesting that in many ways <laughs> it's, i always find the answers to the, that question really fascinating because it tells i think sarah don't you agree it tells us a lot about psychologically the people we're speaking to because some people have been uh, said they'll take like instructional guides for how to come back to life some people <laughs> have seen it as the opportunity to take a tome to read while traveling down the river sticks we've seen people mm. talk about various different avenues so i find it, i like it when people go back to basics and pick just their favorite book of all time yeah so that's a great answer i'm guessing you've read it a number of times is it that kind of book where you pick something new up every time you read it or is it just cements itself almost always yeah but i do that often with with you know books you you, or even you rewatch tv series things like that you know you always pick up new things new and i think it's because in many ways many times it's because i've changed right i mean it was always there the words are on the page, but because I'm a different person today than I was five years ago or 10 years ago or whatever, the, the different me sees it in a diff- from a different angle, uh, from a different mm-hmm. perspective. And, and you know, I, I think that's what makes a, a review like that important in telling, because it's a way to even, you know, chart your own, or not, not chart, but, a, but to notice your own growth. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then when a book is as, as profound and deep and pure, as that particular novel, you know, this short little thin book, man, it just shows like, wow, some, some real magic was happening here when that story was, yeah. was written. You've made me want to go back and read it again now. Yeah. I've not read it probably since I was a teenager. Yeah, I've got fine. some really good book recommendations out of this. Thank you. Oh, Much good. Enjoy. Do it. Tell Ernie I said yeah. hi. definitely (laughs) i like your nickname terms with him that's great yeah (laughs) and you mentioned tv as well just one more recommendation i'd like to squeeze out of you what tv series have you been watching and loving lately any tips for us there well i just we just finished oh bad sisters oh i've heard that's great it's fabulous tv it's fabulous the cast is terrific the writing and it's just great fun it's fabulous if you haven't seen it jump on that right away okay that's Sharon Horgan, isn't it? She's, she's yes. so funny. She 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 created it, right? Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to check it out. It's spectacular, terrific. 
it has been an absolute pleasure, Robert. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad. I really had fun. Frankie, Sarah, you guys are terrific. I've had it. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you. I was thank saying you. To, before you joined Sarah, Robert was saying that how many interviews did you do yesterday? Yesterday I did 13. 13. <gasps> oh. oh, you poor thing. <laughs> if anyone's in need of, of wine and gin, I think it's Robert, especially after getting through this with us so thank you yeah, definitely <laughs> thank you much appreciated what time is it for you right now Robert? Uh, right now it is 11 44 a.m oh uh, i'd say 16 minutes and you could have a gin lunch gin uh, yeah um, probably yeah. not that long <laughs> <laughs> even better no judgment here <laughs> no judgment i i can tell you guys are veterans man you know where it is you know where the bottle is stowed frankie is a teetotaler <laughs> ah believe it or well not. done I make up for it. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robert. And everyone who's listening needs to go and check out Racing the Light and all of the rest of the series because it's, they're fantastic reads all around. Oh, one last cheeky question. What are you working on next? The next Elvis Cole novel. It has oh, no title, brilliant. but uh, the, my next book is also going to be an Elvis Cole Joe Hank novel. So I'm working away about halfway finished now. Ooh. Oh, amazing. And it's fabulous. Just... Oh, that's a good sign. If you like your own book, that's a great You thing. heard it here first. <laughs> Is that just going to be the quote on the cover? It's fabulous. <laughs> Robert Yeah, Price. by the author. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, hopefully you'll come back and talk to us about that one when it's finished and out. Be happy to. Love to see you again. Terrific. Thank and hear so if you've much. committed any more murders. <laughs> Stay safe. Well, yeah. Robert, can we find you on any social media channels? Do you have a website? Absolutely. Uh, RobertCrace.com uh, is my website. Then I'm also on uh, Twitter, at Robert Crace, Instagram, at Robert Crace, and Facebook, uh, The Real Robert Crace. Excellent. Except no limitations. Is it just Twitter that you post your conspiracy theories on, or <laughs> on all the channels? That just Reddit. Uh, <laughs> I've been I've been very active on Twitter recently, but I'm active on on all the things. There's a there's a big presence there and a big community on Facebook. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Thank you both. I've enjoyed it. Wonderful. And for the benefit of our listeners at home, as well as following Robert, make sure you're following us on all of our social channels at the Red and Berry Podcast, and you can email us at Red and Berry Podcast at Gmail. Com. so thank you so much robert enjoy the rest of your day enjoy your lunchtime gin and we'll speak very soon hopefully <laughs> bye bye everyone bye hi folks this is tony black co-host and producer of between the notes a podcast all about the music of film and television Myself and co-host Sean Wilson delve into a range of topics including brand new film score releases. So four, four notes can, can communicate the primal vengeance and rage of Robert Pattinson's, uh, Pattinson's I should say, uh, interpretation of, um, <laughs> yeah, <I've heard laughs> of, of, of Batman. Yeah. Focuses on specific composers such as Ennio Morricone. Just to put this in context, Gwyneth Paltrow got an Oscar before Ennio Morricone did. I mean, how does that... <laughs> How, how, how does that work? And special episodes focusing on topics like adventure movie scores. I think that principle is consistent all the way through Conan because it has to be, because it, it, it is an opera in which the music is the dialogue. We're available on all podcast platforms and on social media at Between Notes Pod on Twitter and Facebook. So please subscribe, get in touch, and join us to discuss the sounds of cinema and television. Between the Notes. Between the Notes.